Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. Today, we are two months since the presidential elections and two days since the Senate runoff in Georgia, which saw two far-left progressives win in a state usually reliable for Republicans, which has only increased the sadness and confusion for many Americans. What should be even scarier for many Jews is that one of the victors, Raphael Warnock, a radical pastor who in the past has supported the America-hating anti-Semitic pastor Jeremiah Wright, has attacked our men and women in blue, demonized our military, and has adopted the same language as Linda Sarsour and other enemies of Israel in blood libeling the Jewish state, but that his support came from many on the Jewish left, including noted Holocaust historian Devorah Lipstadt. Professor Lipstadt not only endorsed Raphael Warnock, but has also engaged in the sleaziest and most despicable forms of political activism by invoking Holocaust imagery to paint the Trump administration's reluctance to accept the very questionable outcome of the recent elections. Lipstadt is not the first Jewish leftist to trivialize the Holocaust as a means of cheap political activism, but she is the first who was once respected as being above politics, who, unlike someone like Peter Beinart, would never sell out her expertise for political gain. But this was 2020, and nothing is normal or sacred anymore. I will have more questions for our very distinguished guest today, world-renowned attorney Nat Lewin, but that will come after Bela offers some of her own comments and giving Mr. Lewin a proper introduction. Bela? Uh, thank you, Alan. The Democratic Party's victory was huge, giving Democrats control of both the White House and both houses of Congress for the first time in 10 years. As Americans, regardless of who we voted for, we need to accept and embrace those who represent us. However, that does not mean that we should stop sleeping with one eye open either. As we know, Georgia won both Senate runoffs, but what we don't know is what the future holds and how things will play out as well that remains to be seen. But the concern that Jews have is about Reverend Warnock regarding the past remarks that he has made from his pulpit in Atlanta. For example, I'm referring to Reverend Warnock's comparing the West Bank to apartheid South Africa. In fact, in one of his sermons, he accused Israelis of shooting down and quote unquote, where he said, Palestinian sisters and brothers like birds of prey. He strongly criticizes Israel's military when they are fighting back against terrorism. But yet, he does have Jewish supporters. True that his supporters are the left, but Jewish supporters nonetheless. 
Just a few minutes ago, Alan referenced the Holocaust historian Deborah Lipstad, who, regardless of Reverend Warnock's comments and opinions about Israel, strongly still supports him. With us today to talk about this issue is our honored guest, Nathan Lewin, a Washington lawyer in practice with his daughter, Eliza Lewin. Nathan has frequently argued before the U.S. Supreme Court in, in Jewish interest cases, including the right to wear a yarmulke with a military uniform, the right to have a Hanukkah menorah in a public square, the right to have public funding for a school for handicapped children in a Hasidic village, and the right to have U.S. citizens born in Jerusalem carry passports declaring that they were born in Israel. He has also taught at Harvard, Columbia, Georgetown, and University of Chicago Law Schools. Mr. Lewin, thank you for joining us today. Can you. You, can you explain to our listening audience what impact Reverend Warnock's seat in the Senate will have on Jews and Israel, but more importantly, the impact of his supporters and endorsers, specifically like Deborah Lipstadt and others, who trivialize atrocities against Jews? Well, I guess my main concern with regard to the <clears throat> Biden administration and certainly with regard to the fact that the all the three branches, I mean, two of the branches, but uh, the president and both the House and the Senate will be controlled by the Democratic Party now under the Biden administration. My main concern is, quite frankly, with the Iran deal which um, uh, President Obama uh, entered into over the objections of Israel and very strong statement by Prime Minister Netanyahu, who, in the face of the Obama uh, position, went and spoke before Congress and laid out the reasons why Iran is an existential threat to the state of Israel. Uh, unfortunately, uh, President-elect Biden has announced that the State Department, top State Department positions, uh, the uh, Secretary of State and the Deputy Secretary of State positions will be occupied by people who are very active in um, implementing uh, that agreement really in sort of writing it and negotiating it and are are supposedly, I guess, strong supporters of the agreement. And some have said that Biden administration should get back into that agreement immediately without any changes, without any conditions. That, I think, is a strong existential threat to Jews all over the world and certainly to the state of Israel. And that's what gives me great concern. Now, you mentioned uh, Deborah Lipstadt. Uh, I think the reason that you did and the reason that you invited me is that I wrote a piece which was very critical of uh, a Washington Post op-ed piece written by Professor Lipstadt and by Norman Eisen, who used to be ambassador to Czechoslovakia, was appointed to that position by Barack Obama, who happened to be his classmate at the Harvard Law School and knew him from then. And Norman Eisen, by the way, to his credit, 
as ambassador to Czechoslovakia and occupant of the ambassadorial residence in the Prague, in Prague, uh, koshered the kitchen in the ambassadorial residence. He's a member, Eisen is a member of an Orthodox synagogue in Washington and very proudly uh, publicly declared that he was turning his kitchen into a kosher kitchen at that embassy. And as a matter of fact, invited members of the congregation, including my daughter, Aliza, by the way, to uh, stop by at the embassy and enjoy the hospitality there because the kitchen is now kosher. So Norman Eisen is a person who one has to respect for the things that he's done. Similarly, Deborah Lipstadt is someone who has to be respected as a professor at Emory and as a writer on the Holocaust. And I guess she made a reputation because she stood in a London court and uh, fought a Holocaust denier and won a case in a London court and is therefore respected. But Lipstadt and Eisen wrote an op-ed piece, which was titled, Denying the Holocaust Threatens Democracy, So Does Denying the Election Results. And as they compared Holocaust denial to the challenge that President Trump was then making legally, legally, by bringing cases in the lower courts uh, to Holocaust denial. I thought that comparison was obscene. I was outraged by it. I mean, I will tell you, I read that editorial that morning and I sat down. I mean, I've, I've been writing op-ed pieces for 50 years for different newspapers and magazines and journals. Some of my op-eds used to appear in the old days, in the, even in the Washington Post and the New York Times. And the New Republic, where I was a regular contributing editor. So I wrote a piece which took less than an hour to write, in which I said that this comparison between, quote, democracy denial and Holocaust denial was grotesque. It was obscene. Uh, as a person who myself, fortunately, my mother, Allah Shalom, had the foresight to insist that if Hitler invaded Poland, we had to get out of that country immediately. And Hitler marched in in September. We were living in Lodz. And my father, the Colonel of Rocco, was a member of the city council of Lodz. He had been elected by the Jews of Lodz to be in the city council in that city. And yet my mother said, we have to get out of here. And <laughs> because of that foresight, I still feel emotional to this day about it. But because of her foresight, we escaped. We made it across to Vilna. And there my mother got the first famous Sugihara visa, which took us from uh, Vilna to Moscow, from Moscow to Vladivostok, from Vladivostok, because my father was a, a already at a young age, a well-known Jewish leader uh, he had who's on the list of those who were given special permission to come to the United States. And we arrived in the United States in March of 1941. And uh, to compare uh, going to the courts or going to the public or going uh, uh, 
wherever to legislators and saying, look, this election has been unfair to compare that to Holocaust denial, I thought was, as I said, obscene. And I wrote that piece and uh, it appeared on uh, JNS and, and other uh, media, Rocheva and others. And I have to tell you that in all these years of writing and op-ed, op-eds that I've written, that was the one piece for which I got the most immediate applause. I mean, people whom I hadn't heard from in years sent me emails saying, congratulations on what you've done. Uh, so uh, uh, that's now, you know, you talk about uh, support by uh, people like Deborah Lipstadt or Norman Eisen for uh, Reverend War, uh, Warlock, uh, uh Reverend Warnock, I'm sorry. Uh, The fact is, he's a danger, a very big danger. He he is uh, very much like uh, Jeremiah Wright, who President Obama sat and listened to for many, many Sundays, and who I think affected him. and And he idolizes Wright, really and Louis Farrakhan, for that matter. And I am concerned that the new administration, uh, no matter what its domestic policies are, I'm concerned that in terms of foreign policy, they will undermine what President Trump clearly did correctly and very courageously when he tore up and threw away that that, uh, Iran deal, which clearly was, I think, even its some of its supporters recognized how terrible it was. And uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu attacked it at the time appropriately, and Trump threw it in the garbage. And the real danger is that with people like Warnock and with the Democrats controlling the Congress and the administration being the Biden administration, with uh, Wendy Sherman, who was a substantial party in negotiating it. I think that there is a real danger with regard to that uh, act that was taken properly by President Trump and that may be undone very unfortunately by the Biden administration. Professor Lewin, you know, when you spoke about the uh, comparison made by Professor Lipset, it brought to mind um, what Barack Obama did when he was president and when he spoke at the University of Cairo. Uh, he told the audience, you cannot deny the Holocaust. It was a tragedy. And I was impressed when I heard him say that. But then the, in the very next breath, he made the moral equivalence by saying, but on the other hand, we cannot forget the suffering of the Palestinians. And what concerns me is, you know, people throw around Nazi invectives. This one's a Nazi. That one's a Nazi. It's, an, it's a way of insulting people. But where we're going now, especially with someone like Professor Lipstadt, who is not just some run-of-the-mill loudmouth, but someone of her education level and respect and credibility, to trivialize the Holocaust, uh, that means that nothing is sacred anymore. And it's such, it's beyond an insult. And you got very emotional and, and I, and I respect and appreciate that. Uh, we all have family members who were murdered in the Holocaust, but it's almost as if people see the Holocaust as just something bad that happened without 
appreciating the gravity of 15 years of Nazi rule, the anti-Semitism, and all the brutality that they put the Jews through. And I mentioned uh, Peter Beinart, you know, in my monologue, in his book, The Crisis of Zionism, he, he calls out Jewish Americans who he says, quote, spend too much money on Holocaust museums and didn't learn the lessons of the Holocaust. And when we do things like that as Jews, we trivialize what our, our own history, maybe to curry favor with the left. I don't know what the motivation is. We delegitimize Israel. And today, when you have someone like Professor like uh, uh, Raphael Warnock, who is the most radical senator ever elected, with so much support from the Jewish community, I wonder, besides Americans being polarized, are Jewish Americans no, no longer, does Am Yisrael Chai or Am Yisrael even exist anymore, or are we Jewish Republicans and Jewish Democrats, and we're as polarized as other Republicans and Democrats? Well, we're certainly very much polarized. I mean, I, I will tell you that speaking to people whom I've known for years, uh, I'm intimidated in various ways. Because if I say that I credit Donald Trump with having done things for Israel, they uh, mock me, they deride me, they call me names. Uh, you know, the, the level of, of invective that's used to uh, deride people who say, look, Trump, no matter what his personal failings are and what happened yesterday was a perfect indication of personal failings on his part. There's no question. But he did some very good things. And the minute you say it to some of these people, they attack you uh, as if you're crazy. You're you're insane. Uh, I mean, you can't. There's no possibility of discussion anymore. And, and the danger in that also is, I mean, you raise the, the whole question of anti-Semitism. The real danger is that anti-Semitism is coming now from the left. And our Jewish friends on the left don't recognize that anti-Semitism. They poo-poo it and they say, oh, you know, the important thing is racism and Black Lives Matter. And, well, who cares if there's, you know, some anti-Jewish feeling or anti-Israel feeling there. We're still comfortable in the United States. And the United States is so protective of rights that we don't have to worry about anti-Semitism. I'm very worried about anti-Semitism in the United States and not necessarily anti-Semitism from people who wear and carry swastikas, but anti-Semitism from people like Reverend Warnock, who claim to be liberals, but who really harbor very strong anti-Israel and anti-Jewish feelings. Right. Well, you know, we saw during this campaign, Linda Sarsour, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar going to Georgia to to campaign for both Ossoff and Warnock. And they were saying that we are going to show what Muslim activism can do. So that should be even further fear. Um, the same way that the left said, well, Donald Trump may not be a Nazi, but they think he's one of theirs. Here you have Linda Sarsour, one of the most dangerous Palestinian activists in America today, who has been legitimized by different Democrat candidates, Barack Obama, Kirsten Gillibrand, and now she's in Georgia. 
and the Jewish left ignored her. And again, I'm not in Georgia, so I don't know how all the media there covered everything, but it just doesn't seem to matter anymore. Um, Mark Melman, who runs Democrat Majority for Israel, I think that's what his organization is called, they endorsed Raphael Warnock during the runoff. Now, they did not endorse him during the general election. So, and I've been trying to find out why all of a sudden the turnaround uh, when they had the runoff, if he wasn't good enough to endorse before uh, November 3rd, why all of a sudden is he good enough to endorse uh, January 5th? Well, that's an interesting point. I, I hadn't known that, and it's interesting that you raise that. Uh, you know, I think maybe one explanation is the increasing anti-Trump feeling. I mean, there was a very interesting piece this morning by Carl Rove in the Wall Street Journal, which really asserted that Donald Trump and what he did with regard to Georgia and his attack on the governor and the secretary of state and all that really cost the Republicans the election. Because if you compare the percentage of the votes that Warnock and Ossoff got in the, in the election in November with the percentage that they got now in this election, it's pretty clear that some of the support that they had they uh, was was increased, really. I mean, that the Republicans lost support because of what Trump said and did with regard to Georgia. So uh, there's no question, I think, that the president, who, as I say, has done very many foolish and improper things personally, even though he's done some very many good things, has really, um, and yesterday is a perfect illustration of that, that he is really ruined his legacy by the speech that he gave yesterday and what resulted from it um, because of his personal, you know, uh, view and attacks and, and feeling that he could do what he did. Um, the fact is, again, as you say, I mean, the anti-Semitism that comes out of the left, and, and it's unfortunately called anti-Semitism. I mean, there's a new word now that uh, is being used with regard to it that's much more appropriate, which is Jew hatred. You have to stop Jew hatred. Uh, my daughter, Aliza, who's involved with the Brandeis Center, and uh, uh, her friends uh, and our colleagues who are also involved with uh, fighting what used to be called and what has been popularly called anti-Semitism, uh, say now you should call it Jew hatred. Uh, because that's what it is. And anti-Semitism is an old word that really doesn't describe it properly. Uh, Mr. Lewin, uh, in your professional opinion, why do you think Georgia, a solid red state, in the end wanted Warnock, who a progressive pastor and activist? Also, how did it come to be that a pastor was transformed into a politician with so much support would you say that this will start the trend that politics will become essential to the work of the church? Well, uh, I mean, in terms of the church, again, I, it's interesting because I've been very active in terms of religious liberty cases in the United States Supreme right, Court. Which is why I'm asking That's you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, churches are not necessarily, as a matter of fact, we have a lot of churches that are very supportive of Israel, of Jewish religious rights. Uh, so I don't think that what Reverend Warnock uh, preaches and what Jeremiah Wright preached is really what, you know, is, is a, a majority view of churches 
in the United States. Warnock was a black and is a black left-wing activist who was dangerous, just as Louis Farrakhan. He's not quite Louis Farrakhan, but he supports Farrakhan. And, and uh, he made noises about, oh, not being against Israel. <clears throat> and they were swallowed by the people in Georgia who, who uh, 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 people in Georgia who uh, accepted what he said. And some of the Jews, I suppose, accepted what he said. Now, uh, you know, I, I can't say again what the, the view of there are church organizations that have unfortunately expressed opinions supporting uh, BDS, uh, being against Israel. Sometimes there are church resolutions by church organizations that have done that. Uh, do the do the black churches agree with that? I don't think they necessarily do. But Warnock certainly got a lot of a boost because he was occupying the pulpit that Martin Luther King, who after all was not an opponent of Israel and was a supporter of Israel, yeah. and marched arm in arm with uh, Rabbi Heschel, who, who, who after all represented strong defense of Israel. Uh, but Warnock has corrupted that. And, and the point is the fact that some people on the left, including maybe even black ministers, uh, uh, take that position is not a reason for condemning either all churches or all black churches or all black ministers uh, as one who frequently watches Fox News. I see them invite you know, black representatives and black ministers who speak out in support of what are sort of conservative values and in support of Israel. And there are certainly, uh, there is an organization that is friends of Israel that's headed by a black individual. His name is Washington, I forget exactly. But so I, I don't think it's a, it's a racist a- attack on Israel necessarily, but I am concerned when I think partly because of <laughs> leftist ideology and partly because of racist feelings, somebody like Warnock can speak of our Palestinian sisters and brothers. Those right. Palestinians become sisters yeah. and brothers of the black community. Why? Because they are not, quote, white or Caucasian. Professor, you mentioned earlier that you your article uh, on uh, Lipstadt and Eisen, uh, you got more responses and, you know, attaboys from old friends you haven't heard from in a long time. Have you gotten any negative responses? Has the, the Professor Lipstadt responded to you or any of her supporters responded back to you that either you misunderstood or you're mistaken or, or any criticism for what you wrote? Uh, the answer to that, interestingly, is no. Uh, I did get, uh, I think, one, maybe two uh, violently uh, Jew hatred uh, uh, attacks. I mean, really, just uh, really kind of uh, brutal sort of Nazi type attacks on me uh, for being Jewish. But I have not, I certainly have not heard from Professor Lipstadt, who I have met a couple of times, but I don't really know her. And I continue to respect her, although one wonders what led her to uh, write a piece like she did. Uh, Some people, again, some of the people who wrote to me 
and I'm not necessarily endorsing this, but said that, well, she has a personal ambition. And there is a slot, which I would not be surprised if President Biden uh, appointed her to, which is to replace Elon Carr, who is the uh, 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 now ambassador. Congress has now made that an ambassador uh, against anti-Semitism internationally. Uh, Mr. Carr, who I know and respect, has done a very creditable job in that uh, position. Uh, he will be leaving because he was appointed by President Trump. And the question is, who will succeed him? Now, one candidate who's been named is Abe Foxman. And Mr. Foxman himself, very surprisingly, issued some uh, uh, support a month ago or more than a month ago, publicly uh, supporting uh, Joe Biden and opposing uh, Donald Trump uh, came out of the blue. I was really surprised when I read that, but it was not as offensive by any means. It was he stated his position as to why he thought that uh, Donald Trump was damaging to Jewish interests and uh, Joe Biden was better. Now, we can disagree with that, but I did not feel outraged about that. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Professor Lipstadt's comparison to Holocaust denial was really outrageous. And uh, I think that's a difference. But I think Foxman is one who's been named as a possible candidate for that position. Deborah Lipstadt is another one. And I would not be surprised if uh, partly because of her outspoken and very aggressive support of Joe Biden, uh, she was appointed as the next ambassador uh, to uh, fight anti-Semitism. Uh, Professor Lewin, um, you have dedicated your illustrious career to Jewish interest causes, but few Jewish attorneys have made such a distinct and inspiring mark on the practice of law and the Jewish community like you. You have fought and won very publicized cases, and uh, earlier, you tearfully and passionately spoke about how your family survived the Holocaust. And I imagine that had a, a, an impact uh, of, of your commitment to Jewish causes. But how did you become such a figure that set the groundwork in being such a role model to others? Well, uh, first of all, <laughs> I'm very flattered by uh, your praise of what I've done. And I have to correct one thing, which is that my family did not survive the Holocaust. I lost three grandparents in the Holocaust. I'm sorry. Uh, My grandfather, who was a leading member of the rabbinate in Poland, was rabbi and uh, Talmud Chacham, an amazingly brilliant man, uh, was murdered uh, in 1941. When, I mean, he had escaped from uh, Russia, where he was the chief rabbi. He was a member twice elected to the Polish parliament. He spoke Polish fluently. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I, I don't remember it, but people told me uh, when I was young about that they heard him speak. He was a phenomenal orator in, in Yiddish and in Polish. And mm-hmm. he wrote Hebrew. He wrote uh, uh, books on Torah, which... Today, the people who read modern Hebrew and read Hebrew literature tell me it is literary genius. 
uh, his writing style. And uh, he was murdered by Ukrainians in uh, the end of June, beginning of July of 1941, because he had escaped to Lemberg, to Lvov. And uh, the uh, uh, German uh, troops were coming in and the Russians were leaving. And the Ukrainians took the opportunity to go on a pogrom and kill 2,000 Jews in Lemberg on one day. And among them was my grandfather and his brother, who was also a rabbi in Lvov in Lemberg. So we didn't all escape the Holocaust. My parents and I did. And uh, my maternal grandmother managed to make it uh, to uh, Japan. She was not given the entry permit to the United States. And she ended up being in uh, Dutch East Indies. She was a Dutch citizen. She was there. And after the war, she came and lived with us for a couple of years. But that was the only grandparent I knew. Yeah. Um, so, uh, now you ask, how did I come to do this? Well, I'll tell you, my father, the Colonel Broca, when he came to the United States in 1941 and was first beginning to learn English, but was an accomplished Yiddish writer, began writing to alert the Jews in the United States of what was going on in Europe. My father spoke out passionately against the silence that um, Stephen Wise and FDR had uh, imposed on the Jews. And the New York Times had followed by not reporting the truth about what was going on and what was happening to the Jews. My father wrote about it in the Yiddish newspapers almost immediately when he came to the United States. And uh, I learned from that really. And uh, once I went into private practice after I had this distinction of being able to clerk on the Supreme Court and I and work in the government and argue cases in the Supreme Court, when I went into private practice, if I was asked to do something for a Jewish cause, I thought it was natural to do it. I saw my father doing it. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are out of time. Um, I know this is very emotional for you, and uh, I certainly understand. I'm a child of Holocaust survivors, and uh, we are out of time. And um, thank you, Professor Lewin. Thank you for agreeing to honor us with your time and commentaries. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. And on behalf of Alan and myself, Thank you so very much again. Happy New Year, and God bless you for all your work, Mr. (laughs) Professor. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.